0: Welcome back to Octopulse, our Detroit News, Detroit Red Wings podcast. I'm assistant sports editor Mark Faulkner, joined by beat reporter Ted Colfin. Coming up, we'll hear from Detroit native Doug Plagans, the voice of the Florida Panthers. But first, Ted, we're recording this podcast after Wednesday's 5-1 loss in Tampa Bay, beginning that six-game road trip, that seven straight games without a win and as you noted in your story in today's paper and online at detroitnews.com the last time the wings won in Tampa Bay was 10 years ago in 2011 when Pavel Datsuk scored twice in a 6-2 victory so what do you make of this winless streak right now?
1: Well the big thing Mark and I think you'd agree it's just a disappointing way to start this season I mean Mm -hmm. granted they had the COVID issues and they had five, six key regulars out of their lineup, but this is not the way I think most ex- most people expected this season to begin. I think they'd, they'd, a lot of people thought they'd be a lot more competitive. Um, they have played hard in most of these games, but talent level is just starting to begin a lot, getting to look a lot like last season. Last night was just, I mean, you couldn't draw up a, better way worse way to start a hockey game i mean tampa scores three goals in a matter of what three minutes 40 some odd seconds and you're in a huge huge hole against the defending stanley cup champions right off the bat and obviously the way this wings team is constructed they just the offense isn't just not a lot of offense on Mm -hmm. that so you're not gonna be most nights you're not gonna be able to overcome a 3-0 deficit to anybody but especially the lightning but I mean, a lot of people, a lot of people this morning on social media. I mean, you're seeing an uprising about why aren't they playing more young kids? Why aren't Michael Rasmussen and Chalowski and Giovanni Smith and people, you know, players yeah. of the, the young people on the roster? I tell you, at some point here, Mark, if they continue to lose here, you gotta you do gotta wonder. It's like why don't you just go to the young kids at this point and see what they have and let them sink or swim.
0: Well, they're already the uh, second oldest team in the league, so that's certainly something. Isn't that better. astonishing, Mark? I mean, when you
1: mention that, isn't that rather surprising? And especially given all the talk about rebuilding and whatnot. Now, do you agree? I mean, I, I, I think I, when I saw that statistic, I think I saw that statistic recently, too. It's, It, is, it raises your eyebrows, for sure. It's rather surprising.
0: Well, there's a lot of stopgap measures, right? They're trying to exactly. simplify things, like you said, with pros. But would Rasmussen, Smith, and Chalosky, would they be that much worse? That's, that's, that's one of the questions, Ted. I think you're right. That's one of the questions that Steve Iserman and uh, Pat Verbeek and Ryan Martin and the whole group with, uh, with Jeff Blaschel, like what's, what's the next step?
1: Well, another thing, yesterday they sent Matthias Brome to the taxi squad. I could okay, the last several games, he was rather, you know, invisible, non-existent as much. Mm -hmm. First three, four games, you could argue he was one of their bit more better, more active forwards. He was creating stuff. He was playing energized. He had slipped, but did he slip enough to fall out of the lineup entirely? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously the coaching staff's call, but. That was, a, that was a somewhat surprising move.
0: Let's hear now from uh, Coach Jeff Blaschel. You talked to him last night about the slow start, the four new players in the game, Robbie Fabry, Sam Gagne, Adam Ernie, and John Merrill, as well as the status of Danny DeKaiser.
1: And for those mental mistakes, you think, or you guys just weren't into it, those first 10 minutes, or physical mistakes, or, or how do you see those?
2: Uh, probably all a little bit different. You know, the first one we got him dinner, and and so we were tired. And um, you know, it's funny we actually just talked about uh, it's not funny, but it's uh, reality. We just talked about changing. We've worked on changing, and um, we got caught out with uh, a few guys changing, and then uh, Nemeth uh, lost an edge there, so he fell, so he was out of the play. Uh, we had enough numbers back, but you know, ultimately been made a good play, cut in the middle, and shot it in the net. Um, you know, and then and then the next two again. You know, the four and four one we fall again. Yeah. Um, hard to say exactly why or how, um, but that's what happened. So, uh, you know, again in the end, uh, we got to be better than that.
1: How did the new guys look? I mean, good opportunity. Uh, they look like they've Time out. basically. Yeah, uh,
2: they look like they've been out for two weeks. You know, and that was a con- now not every guy, but but it was a concern. A little bit of me uh, inserting all all four guys back in the lineup. Um, you know, and it's not by any stretch their fault, but, you know, it's hard. And it's hard to get game ready when you haven't played or practiced mm-hmm. at that level in, in, in multiple weeks. Um, you know, but in, in the outside of it, he, we hadn't won in a while. So why mm-hmm. wouldn't you put them in? And so we, in the end, uh, they certainly weren't the reason by any stretch. I, I thought Johnny Merrill was probably looked the, the most uh, ready of the group. But it's a hard It's a hard ask, and, and I knew it was going to be a hard ask to have four of your 20 guys uh you know one fifth of your lineup basically, um, haven't
1: practiced or played in two weeks. The last one, DK, was that just giving them a night off after you know the back surgery and all that stuff was it or is he hurting again, or what's what was that one about?
2: It's not hurting again. Um, I think dK's a, a great player, and, and we need DK to be uh, you know, to, to be playing at hundred percent and he's not, and he's been playing on one leg most of the year. And, and in the end, you know, we made the decision to go with other guys, um, you know, because we thought it gave us our best chance to win. And that's not a knock on DK, it's just he's trying to recover from this and it's been a hard grind for him. And, and, um, you know, again, he's basically playing on one leg and, and he's trying to get that strength back and it's not coming back as fast as he wants or we want. Um, So, you know, we'll just keep – we'll keep kind of taking it day by day. I didn't give him kind of timeline. I just said he was out uh, tonight's game. Super. Thanks for this, Jeff. Thank you. Yep.
0: Ted, what about that Red Wings defense? We kind of touched on it. Jeff Blaschel just said Danny DeKaiser has been playing on one leg this year. John Merrill was the only defenseman who was even last night in a team-leading 21-51 of ice time. Mark Stahl and Philip Aaronic were both minus two and were on the same side of the ice when – Ryan McDonough scored. Patrick Nemeth was minus one. He fell down on the first goal. Troy Stetcher played only 14:57 and was minus two. And Christian Juice was minus one with one assist. And he had one of the only three hits recorded by the Red Wings defenseman.
1: We'll tell you one thing, Mark. Losing – Well, we don't know about losing Danny Kaiser for a period of time, but mm-hmm. certainly banking on Danny Kaiser being – a top-four defenseman this season. I mean, granted, he was coming off the back surgery, but things were going well. Um, He's an important – he's an important – I mean, he's – when he's healthy, when he's productive, I mean, he's certainly a top-four caliber NHL defenseman. And this unit, I mean, that's a tough person to replace. It really is. And I don't think he's been – great by any stretch here early in the year. You can sense he's still knocking off a lot of rust and mm-hmm. getting back to that level that he played at before. But the fact that, you know, it's, this is a shortened season, so probably it's going to be difficult for a player like that to get back to that level that he's accustomed to. That's going to be a tough loss for the Wings. I mean, and difficult player to replace.
0: Ted, after the game, you talked with uh, one of the leaders, assistant captain Luke Glenn Denning. And here's what he had to say about the 3 nothing deficit against the Lightning, the seven-game losing streak, and a private conversation in the dressing room after the game.
1: Hey, Luke, was it just the start tonight? Was it just kind of you guys weren't in it mentally, you think? Or is it just physical mistakes out there on the ice like that? Uh, I mean, I
2: think, you know, we, we, we turned some pucks over um, and, and we ignited their offense. And, um, you know, we, we had spoken about not doing that. And, and yet that's what we did.
3: And, um, you know, they're, they're a good team for sure. But when you spot them three goals early, it's, uh, it's tough to get back in the game.
1: Hey, Luke, I'm curious. I mean, there was a delay in all this. Did you guys talk about this right after the game? Was there like a little, little sort of meeting or something like that?
3: Uh, you know, we've, uh, we've talked a lot about it as a group. Um, you know,
2: over the, over the past uh, six or seven games here about, okay. um, you know, what we need to do. And, um, you know, that's, those are uh, conversations, obviously. But, um, you know, I think every guy in here is, is frustrated with the way, um, you know, we've been playing and, um, you know, sometimes the effort we've been giving. And, um, you know, that's why I
0: said earlier, we each personally have to look in the mirror and, and then see where we can be better.
1: Sounds good. Thanks, Luke.
0: Yep. thank you. Ted, the private conversation, obviously, Luke Glendening said that's off the record. But what will change Friday other than Philip Zadina possibly coming back? Maybe Danny DeKaiser, possibly Jonathan Bernier in goal. Thomas Greif still hasn't won a game. He's 0-6-2. And the Wings, again, the second oldest team in the league. They're winless in seven games. They're up against the Stanley Cup champions who are, 5-0 and at home. And, Ted, it seemed like they were just toying with the wings last night. In fact, at one point, when Braden Point scored that fourth goal, he put his head down. He didn't celebrate. He was almost sheepish. He just kind of headed back to the game with that 4 nothing lead.
1: Yeah, I tell you, Mark, you, you certainly painted a gloomy picture. <laughs> <laughs> to be truthful, I mean, I don't know how much optimism you can definitely unearth from this. Uh this is a difficult road trip, Mark. I mean, you got Tampa, you got a Florida team who's playing mm-hmm. well, and Nashville, I mean, they're, they know they have to get going here pretty soon to really solidify a playoff spot. So, And the wings are in a tailspin. And the thing is, Mark, there's not any time to really work out of it. There's not a whole lot of practice time mm-hmm. playing every other day. Um, I don't know I, there's not a whole lot of directions the coaching staff can go uh, at this point I mean the, the, the we touched on it earlier I mean do you bring up some of these young guys here eventually pretty soon and see what they could do I didn't think Ras I don't know about you but I didn't think Rasmus and I don't, I think he played fairly well I think mm-hmm. I think there might be there I was somewhat surprised that they I know he's he he has to get his ice time, and he's probably well better off in Grand Rapids, playing in all situations. But I thought he sh- did himself well here, and not a lot of spots in that lineup, though. Ad- admittedly, I mean, there's there, you know, the, the well at this point again, you, you have a lot of these veteran forwards who the Darren Helms, the Franz Nielsen's, the, the Glenn Dunnings, Sam Gagne's back now. You have to make decisions with them. I mean, do you continue to go with them when you're losing, or do you go with some of these younger guys eventually?
0: Ted, you mentioned just a few seconds ago about facing Florida. Let's hear now from the Panthers play-by-play announcer, Doug Plagans, who grew up in Detroit and Trenton and turned his Red Wings fandom into an NHL broadcasting job. Joining us now is Detroit native Doug Plagans, the play-by-play announcer of the Florida Panthers who are in town for a two-game series against the Red Wings. Doug, welcome to the podcast. We'll start with your Detroit roots. Born in Detroit, you saw your first game at Joe Lewis Arena, you said, when you were about four. Started playing organized hockey at age six. You were a season ticket holder. Your parents were. You saw the cup raised in 1997 and 2002. And in 2003, you won a high school state title with Trenton. I saw that video there, Doug. The celebration. You said it's awesome. I'm going to Disneyland. So great stuff there. And maybe we could start by talking about your passion for hockey growing up in the area.
3: Yeah, and uh, you, you saw the YouTube clip, which is, <laughs> uh, which is awesome. You, uh, you you did your homework,
2: but uh,
3: but thanks thanks for having me. First of all, and uh, and yeah, you, you hit a lot of the, the summary right there, and. Just to touch on a, a number of the things you said, obviously having gone into a, a career in the sport, um, mm-hmm. you know, my my love for the game had to develop someplace. And when you grow up in the Detroit area, especially being a, a '90s kid, I mean, I'm I'm 35 now. I was born in 1985, and you know, my my biggest sports memories started to take shape in the in the late '80s, going into the '90s. And mm-hmm. as as you know, that was. An unbelievable time to be a hockey fan in Detroit, uh, seeing so many great players come through town to play for the Red Wings, and seeing the Stanley Cup drought snapped in, in uh, 1997, uh, the 42-year drought, and, and some of the classic games that were played throughout that era, and, and as you said, uh, and, and like a lot of kids who grow up in the area really as as soon as I could stand, I think we were already talking about putting skates on me and uh and so yeah, I started playing organized hockey when I was six. A couple of years earlier, I remember specifically my first uh my first Red Wings game. My dad took me to the Joe. I was four years old, saw the Red Wings play the Minnesota North Stars. So that was my that was my first game. And then uh you know, I was just really hooked on the sport um, you know, moving forward and uh, it was, as I've said, that those teams that uh, that I got to follow back in the '90s really made me made me a hockey fan, and just really uh, helped me develop a, a love for the game that's continued to today.
0: Doug, you said you were at Joe Lewis Arena on March 26, 1997, the Claude Lemieux-Darren McCarty game. Yep. What was that like? You said you and your dad were taping the game back home. John Kelly, who was the Colorado announcer and a guest on our podcast, said there was a police escort for the team when they landed in Detroit. In our newsroom in Windsor, we had a columnist, reporter and a photographer at the game. Even our boss, Jerry Knott, was there with his friends. So what was the buildup like for you?
3: I can honestly tell you, I still think about that every and every so often I'll still go there's some great, uh, you know, obviously you can get on YouTube and just get going and, and all of a sudden a couple hours just evaporate <laughs> because you're watching different retrospectives of the, of the event and everything like that. But I remember, I mean, I was 11 years old, but I remember you know, being at school that day, knowing that we were going to the game that night, it was the last time the mm-hmm. Red Wings and the Avalanche were going to play that season during the regular season. Obviously, everybody knew what was carrying over from the, the 96 playoffs with uh, Lemieux's hit on Chris Draper, and the Avalanche had really had the upper hand during the season series that year, but going into that game that night, I'll never forget, I mean, I knew I was going to the game, <laughs> got home from school, you know, we got ready to go, and on the way there, we were we were listening to, uh, you know, listen to sports radio, the old WDFN, and and um, just the hype. It was all anybody was talking about, and for a number of different reasons, you knew that there were going to be some fireworks, uh, which certainly there were. You also knew, looking at those two teams, I mean, the, the matchup was just loaded with Hall <laughs> of Fame players uh, on both sides of uh, on both sides of the matchup, and you also just had this feeling that. I know this is a regular season game, but whoever wins this game tonight is going to win the Stanley Cup. That's just mm-hmm. what's going to happen. I mean, these two teams, were they were on a collision course, and you knew that they were the two best teams in the National Hockey League, and the winner was going to have this unbelievably massive upper hand move over the other and moving into the uh, into the Stanley Cup playoffs because it was a, a very late regular season matchup. But I, the electricity, even from the time we pulled into the parking garage, walking through that old – the, the concrete tunnel, right right garage into the joe and um <laughs> just the the electricity and the buzz i it's still it's still a, a buzz that i've i'm not sure i've ever felt uh, you know as a fan walking into a sporting event and i've pretty much just I, I realized at this point in time that as from a fan perspective like in all the games that i've attended as a fan in my life i'm not sure that i'll feel Sure. Uh, electricity like I did that night walking into the Joe and I mean the place was just jam-packed for warm-ups <laughs> it was it was you know everybody was in their seat and the anticipation just for the two teams to hit the ice for warm-ups was off the charts so it was it was uh, and then of course we haven't even got, haven't gotten to the game yet the <laughs> game the game was unbelievable and the you know with the, all the back and forth scoring and the Red Wings had to battle back and then you know, the, the brawl that took place, but even the, the intensity away from that specific, the brawl that people remember with McCarty and Lemieux and Mike Vernon and Patrick Wad and everything and Brendan Shanahan and Adam Foote colliding at center. And um, I still remember it so vividly. But, you know, other things that happened in the game, like like Jamie Pusher and UA Kroop had a, an unbelievable fight. And there oh, was... okay different things that were happening throughout the game. And then, then after within Adam Deadmarsh went after McCarty after the whole melee took place uh, later on. And then of course, the fact that, uh, as we said, there was the back and forth scoring and, um, and then the, the overtime winner was scored by Darren McCarty. But aside from just the brawl, I mean, we saw, we saw Sergei Fedorov and, and, and Vladimir Konstantinov, who's one of my favorite Red Wings of all time. And, and, you know, and Sergey was such an unbelievable player too. And one of those guys that you look back at the highlights and you're like, man, sure. He, he was just on a different planet with the, the talent level that he had at both ends of the ice, but it was, it was unbelievable. And then I still, the, the, when they're the video, when they're leaving the ice afterward, after the game winner and like, you know, McCarty gives Draper a hug and then the high fives, Marty LaPointe. Like, <laughs> I just remember so much of that stuff vividly. It was such a great team to follow. And, um, and you just knew you knew when they won that game they were gonna win the Stanley Cup. But I guess that's the long-winded answer to <laughs> the fact that I I don't think I don't think there's ever been a better regular season sporting event in history. Might be a little biased because I was there, but right, right. For a regular season game, I really I would love to hear somebody tell me that there's been a better regular season game than that.
0: But you know, Doug, your description was great about uh, the fans getting into their seats ahead of time, what that was like, the buzz, the anticipation watching the the warm-up in Hockey Town. I want to ask you about the two Stanley Cup teams. In 1997, Game 4 was a Saturday at Joe Lewis. The Wings were up 3-0 against the Flyers. And as you said, Doug, the team hadn't won a cup in 42 years. In 2002, Game 5 was a Thursday night at Joe Lewis. The Wings were up 3-1 Three one against the Capitals. Scotty Bowman's final game in Detroit. That Hall of Fame team. Which cup was more memorable for you? I think
3: in well, I mean, it's hard to they they were all they were all so much fun and mm-hmm. you know, to to be able to see that as a fan that that whole run, I, you know, as a. As a fan from a fan perspective i've told I've told a lot of people that uh you know as far as my sports fandom goes and the teams that i've rooted for throughout my life i mean I saw as good as it can really you know that I saw the the best it can be from a fan perspective because not only did I see such great players and and great teams but um you know I was you, you know, at the age I was at uh, when sure. the won their first cup, I was in sixth grade. And you know, when when you're in sixth grade, <laughs> the single most important thing to you is that your favorite team <laughs> is is winning the Stanley Cup. I mean, that's that that's just what you uh, you know. When I was when I was in sixth grade, you know, it was it was uh, the whole calendar revolved on what what sports season it was. So. um you know just looking back at uh, at those championships i think 97 really stands out for for a number of reasons as we knew the the drought um the wings kind of after that colorado game they were on you can just tell they were just on on track to win the stanley cup that year and um when they got to the finals obviously there were people who were who were experts who were saying that Philadelphia could have been the the team with the, uh, could have been the favorite in that matchup. And they, they had a really solid team, but the Red Wings really had no, no issues taking care of them. And what was special about that is, well, I mean, first of all, I remember sitting there thinking (laughs) as I had just turned 12, uh, right around when they won the cup my birthday was within like three days of when they, when they won it all. And I remember being at the game and, and they won. And my dad who was, uh, he was born in 55, but he was born in September of 55, which would have been a few months after the last <laughs> Stanley cup. So I remember I'm thinking like, wow, this is, this is something that in my dad's lifetime he's never seen. And sure. that made it all that much more special to be able to enjoy it. Uh, you know, with him at the, at the arena. And I remember just, you know, when we were driving out of the parking garage, people were lining the streets and just high-fiving you as you drove by in your car. So <laughs> it was a, a scene like nothing I had ever seen in my life up until that point in time, and to you know to see, especially having been a fan and and you know my formative years as a sports fan were watching those teams and seeing the way that uh, the 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 players involved. You look the core guys like Iserman and Fedorov, and they they had to endure a lot and had to you know they had to lose a few times before they were able to ultimately get over that hump and to you know, to see them, to see, to see them finally get over the hump, you kind of felt like you were part of it because you'd been watching it for, uh, for a number of years. And um, that was also where you could tell when they won that one, they went, you just knew there were going to be more and, uh, and there were, but I went to the, uh, the fan rally after they, after they won it, it was just uh, it was a special time, a special team. <laughs> and looking back at 97, obviously, you know, the, the the tragedy that took place afterward you look back at the videos from 97 and and vladimir konstantinov was such a such a great player and i'd still rank him he, i mean he's he's he was then will always be one of my one of if not my favorite player to to ever play the game i mean he he played with an unbelievable passion he could do just about you know he could do everything and i i firmly believe that uh, you know he was a he was a hall of fame talent and To, uh, you know, that's another thing that was special about that one is, uh, you know, he was he was playing on that team. So um, so that was special. But, you you know, oh, two in the 98, of course, to win it. um, We didn't talk about that one, but they because they wanted on the road. But uh, in 98, like, I mean, when they wanted and brought Konstantinov onto the ice, uh, that was, you know, incredibly special as well uh, to to see that after, you know, after what had happened, they won that for him. And, um, in 2 that team, uh, I mean, you go up and down that lineup, but that 2002 team, I don't know, certainly not in the salary cap era. You'll never be able to <laughs> assemble. You'll never, never be able to assemble a team with that kind of a who's who list of hall of famers. Like they were able to on that, on that, uh, Oh, two squad with, I mean, you had all the guys who were already there, but then you had, you know, you throw Brett Hall and Luke Robitaille into the mix and Dominic Hoshik. It, 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 that team was just stacked and um, you, you knew they were going to win it. They were, they, were, they were in it to win it from the start. So, uh, like I said, especially not in today's era with cap management, I don't think you'll ever see a team like that assembled ever again. So... I think everybody realized that, too, when you were watching it. Um, you know, there's the collection of yeah. talent that had been assembled was absolutely off the charts.
0: Doug, how about your own memorable hockey moment? We mentioned 2003, the Division II State Championship at Compuware Arena, now called USA Hockey Arena. You were a defenseman, a 4 nothing win over Davison. But I want to talk to you about your Trenton coach Michael Turner, the all-time leader in career victories with 629 wins, he retired after 28 years, 11 state titles. What did Coach Turner teach you about hockey and life?
3: Well, I think the big thing that he brought that uh, you know I think everybody was able to take away, and you mentioned how long he'd been there. In Trenton, Trenton's a public school, and I think it was 1979 they won their first uh, state title. But okay, um, you know. But coach Turner, you, you just knew he just in, there was a culture there and when you when you started playing for the team you or even when you went to games um, just to watch before you know when I wasn't even in high school or whatever you, you just you felt like you felt like it was something big and, and, uh, and he made it that he made it important and, and he kept that culture going over the years with you know in in high school hockey and there was a long stretch there where it was pretty it was tough for like a, a freshman or a sophomore to make the team. So what you had a lot of times were guys that were playing there for maybe, uh, you know, just a, two years and there was turnover. And despite that, you know, with that turnover, um, you know, coach Turner was always able to to maintain that culture and, mm-hmm. and everybody walked in and it didn't matter if you were a new guy, or if somebody had been there for a while, you walked in and you knew it was special and um, you know, it was a, it was a special team to be a part of. And, it was also somewhere where you walked in expecting to go out and, and win and represent your city to the best uh, best of your ability. And it was, it was just a, a really, like I said, a special a special team and a, a special culture to be a part of. And um, that's a big credit to, to Coach Turner for, for building that and for keeping that in place over the years. And it, it taught us a lot about you know, just showing up and, uh, and and doing the best that we can, like I said, to not only go out and win, because the expectation in Trenton, when you play when you play high school hockey for that team, the, ex, the expectation mm-hmm. is, to, is to go out and win a state title. And, I mean, they have uh, – I'm not even – I've lost count. I think they're up to, like, 14 state titles all time, which is unbelievable for uh, for a public school. But, uh, you know, he instilled an expectation to win, but also an expectation to be the best representative for your community and your school that you can be, and – I think that's something that everybody was able to to learn from and uh, and become a, a better person for over time. And we had that that team I was on the O three team. I only played one year for for Trenton High School. I played my senior year, and I think our team had eleven seniors on it, and mm-hmm. we, were, we were ranked number one in the state in our division from the start of the season to the very end. Um, you know, we we knew that it was pretty much. Uh, championship or or bust with that team we were we were a team that was built to win and was ready to win from the start and fortunately we were able to take care of business and it's uh it's a uh, it's brought a lot of uh it gives me a lot of fond memories and and you saw the youtube video <laughs> i did <It's laughs> out there um it's out there from the old state champ show on channel yeah. four uh you know with uh, they happened to stick a mic in my face during the <laughs> celebration and uh, even to this day a lot of folks have had some fun with that and my hair was my hair was much longer. so. Yeah.
0: Did you ever get to Disneyland some other time?
3: You know, I, I, I've never <laughs> – Disneyland, which is the California one, I've never been there. And I actually haven't been to Disney World even since that video. So, okay, uh, okay. <laughs> I, I've been just not yeah. since that video. It's taken me a while to, to yeah, deliver yeah. on that.
0: Um, Doug, just a couple more questions. Thanks for your time. I wonder what it was like growing up listening to Ernie Harwell, George Blaha, Ken Daniels, Mickey Redmond, the Hockey Night in Canada broadcasters. I asked this question of Everett Fitzhugh, who, as I said, is from Detroit now, will probably be the radio broadcaster for the Seattle Kraken. And he said, Mark, those voices, those people, had a profound impact on his life, that Ernie was the soundtrack of his summer what was it like growing up with those voices and the effect they've had on your career, Doug?
3: Well, I feel exactly the same way as, uh, as he does. And first of all, in, in the state of Michigan, we were so spoiled when it came to our, our broadcasters that we had. And I, my earliest memories really involve Dave Strader and Mickey Redmond uh, um, you know, when I was like three, four years old and uh you know had a had a chance to to meet Dave and um you know obviously we, we we think about him all the time but had a chance to meet him uh you know a few years back and and he was even kind enough when I was working in the minor leagues I I was able to find his email address and um Dave Strader had always been one of my favorites and I I sent him a, a clip and um you know I said i just, Mr. Strader, if you, if you have a few minutes, would you mind, uh, you know, been a, been a fan of yours, admire your work for a long time. Would you mind listening back to some of my stuff just to give me a little bit of a critique? And he was outstanding. He got right back to me, and then he, he actually gave me a, a detailed, uh, you know, so, some detailed critiques. And
0: It was very nice looked, of Dave, yes.
3: Yeah, listened through on my, on my stuff, and like, I, I can't even tell you, uh, you know, what that meant to me just to even get an email back from somebody who I'd admired, uh, you know, for so long, but, uh, but to actually get some, uh, real work advice from was, was just awesome. And to have met, uh, Mickey now as and, and Ken Daniels and Ken Cal. I mean, they're all outstanding and they're, they're great at their jobs. And then when I've met them and realized that they're great people too, it's just, uh, it makes it, uh, it makes it just a really awesome experience. And you, you mentioned Ernie Harwell and when I was younger too, we were, We were really spoiled between Ernie Harwell and and Bruce Martin. And you mentioned George Blaha, who's uh, been doing the Pistons games for for a long time. Um, We were very spoiled with broadcasters. But Ernie Harwell, as far as I'm concerned, is, you know, and I think anybody from the state of Michigan, and I think a lot of folks around baseball, I I mean, I think Ernie Harwell is just the absolute gold standard. Um, You know, he... He could make anything sound interesting and he could make, and you know, that was the thing too. And I think the same quality is shared by everybody. I've mentioned all these great Detroit voices with, whether it's, you know, Ken Calkin, Daniels, when Mick, you know, Mickey, um, you know, any of the guys that I've mentioned, and especially though with Ernie, when Ernie was talking about it, it just felt, it just felt special. Whatever you were, whatever you were listening to it, it just, you know, again, whether it was a baseball game with Ernie or a hockey game with, with uh, you know Ken and Mickey or Ken and uh, and Paul Woods on the radio, who again I've been listening to Paul Woods since I was since I can even since I can remember, and to be able to chat with him every time we're in town, it's just sort of a surreal experience for me. But uh, but anytime any of these guys talk, you know when when they start doing their job, when they when they're on the mic, they make the event feel special, and um, you know that just that just shows how you know how great they are at what they do. But uh, but Ernie. I mean first of all the just an absolute class individual and uh unbelievable human being, but i mean they 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 don't make him like ernie harwell anymore he was he was one of the one of the all time greats and I guess the the best something that's really good and you you like when you see this, but we all knew um everybody knew as as time was going on you know we're spoiled with Ernie. Enjoy Ernie. Listen to Ernie as much as you can. And, and I think everybody was, you know, we all, we all definitely knew how special it was and how lucky we were to have Ernie as the voice of the Tigers. And, uh, and to, you know, I think we all, we all made the most of it while uh, we had the chance to listen to him.
0: And finally, Doug, the uh, central division, only 56 games this year, eight teams in the division, only four make the playoffs, Florida, your team, Three teams have played only four games with COVID. Florida, Dallas, and Carolina have only played four times. How do you see the rest of the season unfolding, and where do you see the Red Wings fitting in?
3: Well, I think first you you look at a a few of the things that you just mentioned there. You're playing the same seven teams eight times in the season There's going to be a chance for some uh, rivalries to either Mm -hmm. get heightened or to just develop. I mean, in a normal 82-game season, the Panthers are only playing Nashville, Chicago, and Dallas two times each. But this year, they're going to see each of those teams eight times. So uh, a chance to develop a little bit more of a rivalry with teams like that. The schedule is obviously condensed the old phrase it's a marathon not a sprint might not apply this year i think it might be more of a sprint than anything here in this condensed uh, shortened season and uh, you look at the at the division it's it's going to be every divisions going to be wide open uh, love the love the panthers chances i think they're i think they're a playoff team here in the uh, in the central division they've gotten off to a great start um obviously uh, a team that's ready to take a take a step and has depth across the board doesn't matter what position it is forward defense goaltending and uh and they've got uh, the best head coach in the business as well and Joel Quenville to to steer the ship so um you know this is a team that's really made a nice splash early you mentioned they've had some gaps in the schedule early on Mm -hmm. due to some some issues that have uh, come up with teams that they were supposed to play but um, you know, I think we've seen across the whole league, it's interesting. A lot of the teams that have had to endure a little bit of a layoff here early on have come back and, and shown no signs of rust whatsoever. <laughs> I think what you're seeing across the whole league, you know, you wondered maybe with an abbreviated training camp or with, with no preseason games, you wondered how that would affect certain teams. But um, I think what you're seeing are across the whole league, players that were just chomping at the bit to get out there and play hockey again. And we're seeing a, a great caliber of play. As a result of it, the thing with the with the Red Wings, and obviously, you know, I keep a I keep a close eye on the Red Wings just because I, I grew up uh, you know grew up with the with the Red Wings, and and that's uh, the thing that you know people always ask me you know uh, you grew up a Red Wings fan <laughs> and, and now you work for the Panthers, and, and that's I, I tell people you know it's when you when you are uh, when you're employed by a team. As I have been now, this is my thirteenth year in pro hockey, so I, I was in the minor leagues for seven years, and this is my sixth season with the panthers um, you can You can root for your teams as a fan, but when you are employed by a team, that level of emotional investment that is involved goes beyond any other level of emotional investment that you 've ever you 've ever mm-hmm. felt before and the, I, like i said i, I wouldn 't trade my my Red wing fandom that I grew up with for for anything because it 's what helped me develop the love for the game that I have but you know, nowadays, uh, you know, it's full on, full on Panthers through and through <laughs> every every single day. But I still yeah. do keep a keep a close eye on the uh, on the Detroit Red Wings, and I think being in the in the division, especially, I have to keep a close eye on them. Whether it's the normal Atlantic Division in an 82 game season, or this, uh, you know, this reconfiguration that we're working with this year, um, with the with the condensed schedule and, and everything, being a part of the Central Division but I think they're doing it the right way. And I would tell the Red Wings fans to, to be patient because first of all, Steve Eisman did an unbelievable job in Tampa. So the, the track records there and he learned under Ken Holland, who is a, you know, a hall of fame type general manager. And um, you can already see he's, he's putting quality veterans in place there to help bring along the young guys. And he's brought in, uh, you know, you bring in quality veterans like that and you, you keep the, the team's going to be competitive each and every night. And, um, you know, he's, he's putting all the right pieces in place. And, and I would tell any but any Red Wings fan to, uh, to be patient because, yes, while it is a team that's in transition, you look at them and they've got players that can beat you every night if you're not careful. And uh, they've got some exciting players as well. And, you know, the Red Wings fans are lucky to see – to be able to watch guys like Dylan Larkin and yeah. – you know, Tyler Bertuzzi and, and guys like that each and every night. So it's a team to be excited about. And, uh, and, and like I said, Stevie wise, got the, uh, got the, got it going in the right direction. And and I think that uh, I think once they're in my, my opinion, I think once the Red Wings, uh, once they take that next step developmentally, I think the ascent is going to go pretty quickly. Um, you know, they've, uh, you know, you get a couple more, uh, n- another nice draft pick or two in there and start to see some of the, the big first rounders that have been taken the last couple of years, get into the mix. I think they're, I think sure. their turnaround's going to be pretty quick.
0: Doug, thanks again for your time today on game day and telling us about your Detroit background and how that fandom has turned into a promising NHL career. All the best this weekend and the rest of the season.
3: Thank you very much for having me, Mark. And, uh, you know, like I said, I, I, I always enjoy talking about, uh, talking about Michigan, being from there. I think people, people from Michigan have a, a real pride and appreciation for, yes. for the area, and I think that's what uh, – it, it's just a really special thing. So, so again, uh, thanks for having me, and I enjoy any chance I have to talk about it.
0: Good stuff. Thanks, Doug. Thank you. Our thanks to Doug Plagans. And now let's hear from the captain, Dylan Larkin. He leads the team in points with nine and 11 games. He leads the team in shots – with 35, nearly four shots per game. And he was only minus two until he went minus three in Tampa Bay last night. On the first goal, he got caught playing defense against Victor Hedman. On the second goal, he fell down in the corner in the offensive zone. And on the third goal, he got pushed off the puck by Ryan McDonough, who scored at the other end of the rink. And all this came after some of the worst shifts of the season on Saturday. And overtime. In a 2-2 game, he was on the offensive. He had the puck with Brome. and Instead of flipping the pass to Brougham, and maybe out of his reach, at worst it would go into the corner. It was easily intercepted back the other way. Larkin left his feet. He dove to make the play. You don't see that very often. And then Larkin went to challenge Anthony Duclair on the sideboards. He took a poor angle. Duclair easily pulled away. And he made a saucer flip pass to the rookie, Alexei Haponime, a 155-pound fin, playing in his first NHL game. He scored. Here's Larkin on being taken off the power play earlier in that game. What was your reaction to being
3: left off the power first couple of power plays? A little unusual.
2: Yeah, it's something that, uh, you know, for the team, we got to take a look at. And um wasn't working, so try, try other guys next man up. And yeah, yeah.
0: Did Jeff talk to you about it beforehand? Let you know, or?
2: Well, yeah, he's been the whole, whole, you know, season, uh, even training camp, you know, he says it's a privilege and it is. And, um, and we just haven't been good enough. So, uh, try and switch something up and, and get it going. And, um, you know, I think uh, just watching from the bench, you can you can see, and and you gotta, you know, it definitely was a, a a good lesson to me, I guess.
0: Ted, what's wrong with Larkin in Detroit? He's the first line center, miscast really. Probably better in the number two hole, perhaps in Tampa Bay, for example, if Nikita Kucherov was in the lineup with Braden Point and Anthony Sorelli. Larkin would probably battle Sorelli for the third-line center. They're both two of the best I, defensive centers. But when are we going to start seeing some offense from Larkin?
1: I mean, he's the leader of their worries. He hasn't gotten off to one of his best starts, I think, overall. But mm-hmm. I still think he's been one of their better forwards. I think the first few games, I think he really was thinking about the sea on his chest, and I think it probably – weighed a thousand pounds on his sweater absolutely yeah yeah. play up to the caliber but I I definitely saw progress there toward the end of the homestand um I think he's just I think he's a lot one of like a lot of the other players on this team Mark I think there's still a lot more to give I think he certainly knows that he's kind of brought that up himself a few times um I think we're seeing Anthony Mantha get on track here a little bit. I thought Mantha was probably the most disappointing among all the forwards here early in the season, but now he's Mm -hmm. a goal in three straight games. There's a lot of players who are not playing up to their caliber on this roster. Until they do, I think we're going to see a lot more nights that are similar to last night than victories
0: and Ted when are we going to start seeing some power play goals the wings were 0 for (laughs) four last night it's an old story only four goals though in 11 games so that ranks 24th the top three power plays have the top players so Colorado Mm -hmm. has 14 goals with Nathan McKinnon Toronto has 13 goals with Austin Matthews and Edmonton has 12 goals with Connor McDavid on the last podcast Dylan Larkin said the guys want the puck now a really good start two and two I don't know if that's the case now, Ted, but just four goals and 38 chances.
1: It is, Mark. It is astonishing. I mean, especially the last several seasons, they have just not been able to get on track on the power play or be any sort of threat, create any sort of momentum even. And this season, it's reaching new depths. I mean, I didn't think they were particularly good on the power play last evening at the first time this season that's for sure uh it is an interesting stat you brought up there i mean isn't it is mm-hmm. it you see some of the best power plays have some of the best players in the league on them and uh boston you look at boston that's another just dynamite power play with the pastor nicks Bergeron, and bergerons and Krejci's and
0: you know, Ted, watching that Boston-Philadelphia game, that was professional hockey at its best. Back and forth, structure, players in the right place, entertaining, fast-paced. It was like night and day compared to what we saw last night.
1: I tell you, my friend, the Boston Bruins, I, I think I picked them outside of the playoffs this season. I picked them fifth mm-hmm. in that division. I just thought maybe the age will have caught up with them. Some early season injuries and losing Chara. Boy, oh boy, early on, they are proving me wrong. They are playing just as well as they were last regular season. So kudos to them. But, yeah, I mean, obviously the wings. Now now you've lost Tyler Bertuzzi, obviously, too, for four to six games here, at least the length of this road trip. Mm -hmm. And he was one of your more productive players on the power play. Somehow or other, they got to get this thing going. I mean, I don't think any conf they don't, they're not playing with any confidence on the power play. You're getting some key people back, so maybe that'll help.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep.
1: Um, we shall see.
0: And finally, Ted, the penalty killing is actually ranked worst. It's last overall. They've allowed 11 goals in 11 games at 64%. The top penalty killing teams are all over 90%. Carolina, then Montreal, Colorado, we talked about Boston, and Columbus. The wings are at 64%. So, Ted, the math just doesn't add up. Four no, no, power I play goals, for four and 11 against.
1: The rule of thumb, Mark, is you want to add the two where you rank in the power play and the penalty, penalty kill and come in around 10 usually. That's the rule of thumb. Well, <laughs> they're <winning laughs> 30 or 40, so that doesn't bode very well at all. Although we will, to give them credit, I think they did go four, out, four on four to f- – they killed all four Tampa power plays last night. Yes. Pretty good doing it too. So that was a step in the positive direction. But, no, you're absolutely right, Mark. And until you get the specialty team straightened out, you don't have much of a – much hope of moving up into standings dramatically, that's for sure.
0: That'll do it then for today's podcast, episode 45. You can also check us out on our Octopals Facebook page, and you'll always find us on Twitter, Instagram, Instagram Stories, and Snapchat. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll talk to you soon.